you know, on this or, you know, go by this systematic theology. Sorry, are we doing the podcast? Did I zone out? <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Are you serious? <laughs> this is going to be a great line. That's it. And that's going to be the opener now. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. yeah, no, I think so. Where am I? Where am I? <laughs> It's our job to catch these new believers early, I would say. Hmm. So those that are getting baptized in the church, faithful church members should grab onto those people and kind of take mm-hmm. them under their wing and say, I'm here for you. I care for you. I love you. If you ever have questions, you ever have needs, you, mm-hmm. I want you to come to me checking on them for this reason, because we know that this is mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that Satan does. Well, hello there. Thank you for joining us uh, today on Pastors of the Roundtable. Thanks for joining us. We're sitting around the roundtable here um, together, sitting at the table with me. I've got Pastor Tim, lead pastor here at MNBC, uh, Matt Bates, uh, media and music pastor here at the church, Scott Slater, family pastor here at MNBC, and my name is Spencer Snow. I'm the discipleship pastor here at the church. And uh, we're glad you could join us. Pastors of the Roundtable is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. And it's brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Our goal together is to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. Uh, last week, if you were joining us and, and uh, listening to our conversation, we began a, a series going through C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Um, C.S. Lewis was a famous uh, British author. Um, he was born in 1898, died in 1963. And you'll probably know him as the uh, writer of the well-known Chronicles of Narnia series. He also wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters, which is uh, a series of letters, uh, fictional of course, but, but written from Screwtape, who is himself an experienced older demon. And he's writing to his nephew, Wormwood, who is a younger demon, a younger tempter, who's been assigned to a specific man who is known as the patient, um, who uh, Wormwood's goal is to bring this man to hell and not to heaven. Last week in letter one, we looked at uh, the, uh, the letter from Screwtape to Wormwood about how to keep his patient, this man, from becoming a Christian. But now, as we dive into letter two this week, we're going to see that this patient, this man, has now become a Christian. He has now uh, joined the church and, and, and has begun to go to church and, I guess, identifies himself as a Christian of some sort, at least. And so now... Uh, Screwtape is writing to his nephew, Wormwood, this junior tempter, about how to now um, handle his patient, this man, and how to try to uh, pull him back um, to the dark side, we might even call it, I suppose. Um, so, so there, he, he talks about the fact that right away that this guy has become a, has become a Christian, uh, Screwtape, uh, uh, in an in a in a satirical interesting way uh, kind of um tells his um his nephew you know you're going to be punished and you're going to get some of these uh because of what you've what what you've allowed to happen here but um but then he says uh, don't worry because all, we've we've been able to bring a lot of these adult converts back to us um 
And so he says all the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. Um, that, that first of all brings up an interesting fact, guys. He says, all the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. Whenever we become Christians, and, and in our theology as, as Protestant um, Christians, um, as Baptists, we believe that once we're made right with God, we're made right with God not because of anything in us, but because of what Christ has done for us. But we're still sinners, so we don't change overnight, do we? Um, can you talk a little bit about how our habits mentally and bodily are still slanted perhaps towards the uh, opposite way they should be even when we first become Christians? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it doesn't change overnight. So there's mm-hmm. there's new uh, disciplines that we need to learn, new whole new way of life really that we need to learn because when God saves us, it's not just, all right, just keep doing what you were doing and I'll see you when you die type of thing. It's, mm. The Bible says he's going to sanctify us. He's going to mold us and make us into the image of his mm-hmm. son. And and so that takes <clears throat> it takes work on our part as we you know do these new things. Something as easy as, okay, so now I'm a Christian. What do I need to do? Well, I'm told I need to read my Bible. So when am I going to do that? And how mm-hmm. long am I going to do that? And how do I do that? And mm-hmm. just trying to figure that out probably would be, or probably prayer is probably really the first step. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm supposed to pray. How do I do that? What does that look like? And actually working on doing that, or for some people, it might be the language they use that yeah. I got to change this. And just the fact is, it doesn't change overnight. You know, it, it takes time and in years to not blurt out, you know, words maybe that you shouldn't use. Mm-hmm. It's just inappropriate. And so um, I think we have to be. Uh, patient with ourselves in that process it's a blessing to have people who are patient alongside of you to help you and not expect the best you know not expect perfection Mm. right off the start so a passage that came to my mind uh is colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 it says if then you have been raised with christ seek the things that are above so it doesn't say you you now have the things that are above you. No, he says, seek them. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So I've, I studied this passage this week in preparation for a devotion I was planning on doing yesterday, but we canceled our event. But... Um, the fact that Paul even had to tell the Colossians to do that mm. goes to show that when you become a Christian, he said there, if then you have been raised with Christ. If you are a Christian, you now need to do these things. He wasn't assuming that it was already there. Um, you know, he had to tell you. And then I, I, the last couple sentences of when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory gives the idea that like what you're to do now is to prepare for what your future existence will be. Like when all things are made new, when you're completely uh, made new as a new person and you no longer struggle with sin, you're trying to attain that now. Like you're working towards that, preparing for that now. Mm. So that like when you, you're, it's almost in a sense like you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what you've been working towards your entire mm-hmm. earthly existence after becoming a Christian and now your life has appeared. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just this, the idea that you're not automatically made perfect when you become a Christian, but you actually have to work 
to set your mind on the things and right. seek the things that are heavenly. I think one analogy, and, and maybe uh, this is being stolen from like Sinclair Ferguson, I think, and maybe it's his sanctification book, but like uh, an illustration for this would be today would be like if someone comes to us from, you know, China, South Korea, some other country, and they move, they've lived there, they're, they're 35 years old, they've lived every day of their life in that country, but then they move to the U.S. and eventually become a citizen of the United States of America. We're not, they're not going to automatically look and sound like Americans, Mm -hmm. even though they could be legally American citizens now. And now they have the rights and the privileges of an American citizen after a time. But why? Because 35 of their years were spent in, in another country. So they're going to talk differently. They're going to have different customs. They're going to have different uh, ways in which they, they think about things. Um, and so just because we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light doesn't mean, even though our citizenship is different, doesn't mean our, our habits are still not like they're, in, they're still in that other realm. And so what we have to do is to become who we already are in Jesus Christ. We are in him. Now we need to grow in him. Um, Paul says in Colossians, right, as you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, so uh, grow in him or continue so walk in, in walk in him. He doesn't say that you you got Christ, now you go do something. No, you're in him now, now walk in him. You, the grace wherein you stand, rather than going away from Christ and moving beyond the gospel message, we just continue to sink our roots deeper in that grace of Jesus Christ, and it changes us. I've heard it put this way, um, like when someone buys a new house, and they're sitting, they're getting out of the driveway of their workplace and to where they've always, to, their, to go to their old house, they always have to take a right. Mm-hmm. So mentally, like the first couple of weeks that you're going to your new house, right. you have to leave work a different way. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's really hard sometimes to reprogram yeah. your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Reprogram. That's yeah. what, that's what, that's what yeah, sanctification renewal. is. God's yeah. reprogramming yeah. us, right? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it takes a bit. Yeah. And for us... Uh, takes a whole lifetime, doesn't it, yeah. to, to continue to reprogram us. Um, so, yeah, so he says all the habits are, are still in our favor, and that's so true whenever we first become Christians. Now, one of the things he says, though, uh, is that one of the best allies they have, Screwtape writes to his uh, nephew, Wormwood, he says is the, the church itself. Now, I want to read a little quote, uh, a section of the book, actually, of this letter, because this, really, uh, this is really helpful. He writes to Wormwood, his nephew, and says, One of our great allies at the present, at present, is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad and in very small print. When he gets to his pew and looks round him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. <laughs> so 
there's an interesting, first of all, there's an interesting distinction between the church as the demons are seeing the church and the, it's invisible to us as humans and the church as we as humans see it, um, with our hands and we can see it with our eyes. Um, what is the difference between the invisible church and the visible church? When we, we talk about those words and, and kind of what he's seeing here, could you explain that, that idea for us? Yeah. So like the, the visible church is just, it's the, what you can see, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like how he described it. There is, it's the people that are inside the building locally to you that you go to, you drive down the road, you see a church on every corner, depending on where we're at in our country. Um, and that's just what you can see. Uh, but the invisible church uh, is spiritual in nature of all Christians from all times and all places mm. make up the this corporate body of the church, mm. you know. And so kind of like a maybe a way to think about it is that the invisible church is like the the church that you're going to see at the at the end, mm. like when Jesus returns and we are all gathered to him in heaven, like those who are in heaven, that that's the church. That's mm-hmm. the invisible church, those who are truly of the faith. So in, a, in, in the visible church, in a building like that, there's probably a mix of Christians and non-Christians, mm-hmm. uh, old and young. I mean, all, you know, that's what you can see. But uh, like the invisible church is like those who are truly mm. you know, saved and, and, uh, and following the Lord. And I think he even mentions in here, he talks about it, the invisible church, terrible as an army with banners, mm. like the victorious church that the battle, the battle is won or the war has been won, right? And mm. so you think about those passages that talk about us maybe Christians as, as soldiers, mm. and we hear about the spiritual warfare that's taking place, but, but Christ has conquered that. That's the invisible church that sometimes is hard to, hard to see, but... Like Screwtape is saying to Wormwood, we see that church. Right. We know that church, but the humans can't see this church. But but it's interesting. Like the demons are like, we know that. Right. They're the victorious ones. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that have the victory. They're this terrifying army that even the best tempter shudders at and is scared of. Um, But it's it's really hard for us to see that because Mm. we're not in that realm and we feel so often defeated it takes faith Mm -hmm. to see that church Hmm. because uh and that's one of the things that's such a challenge for us as christians is our religion is a religion of faith of hearing a word and believing it i think that's one of the reasons why it's so important for us as protestants we don't have pictures all over our church Mm -hmm. because we're a religion of the book and of the word. We're not a religion of the eyes right now. We will see Christ one day, but right now we live by faith. We, we live by unseen realities. And um, that's one of the reasons why I think God gave preaching as the means by which he's communicating to us the salvation. Things we can't see, we, think, we can't touch, but they're real and unseen and true. And so the church, even though I can't see it, and the true church, the, the, the invisible church, the church that is pure and spotless and which we are part of, if we're true believers in Jesus Christ even now, um, we, we, we're, we believe in that church, we see it, but we also look at the church visible right now, right. and it's, a, it's an imperfect church representation of what the invisible church is and will be at the last day. Yeah, I mean, so in Romans 8, 
you know, we have we have this church that is more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? That's mm-hmm. the invisible church. We and that's what we claim even for ourselves that Christ has given us. He's called us that nothing can separate us right from his love. Again, that's that invisible thing that we know is true. We know we have this victory. But then the visible side is the side where it's like, I know you say I'm more than the conqueror, but yet here I am coming to you again. Right. Sinned again. Right. The same thing I already asked for forgiveness for. Here I am again sure. to do it again. And you keep telling me I'm a conqueror, but I got to be honest, I don't, right. I don't feel like a conqueror. Right. Right. I feel actually defeated quite often. Right. But then we're reminded, no, but you are a conqueror because it's, it's truth. Look. Right. Right. That's right. the that's the difference here that screw tape is writing to put into the mind of the patient is don't look at the invisible church. Make sure he doesn't see the invisible church. Don't let him think about those things. Right. Help him just to look around at the surroundings, right? Right. Help him to look at the people. Or if you go to the chapter before, like we talked about, help him to look at the real church, mm-hmm. right? The real life thing. Not things he can't see. Yeah, not the touch. things he can't see. These things around right. him that are right. tangible. It's interesting, the, even the wording he uses, he says that the church, which is quite invisible to humans, but then he says, all your patient sees, and then he uses the word sees again. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer. And then he says, when he gets inside, he looks around him and sees just that selection. So whenever he goes inside with his eyes, first of all, he, he walks up to the church and he says he sees a half-finished sham gothic erection on the new building estate, <laughs> right? And so he shows up, and I'm assuming right in this context, he's probably talking about um, the Church of England, probably, because C.S. Lewis was an Anglican, a member of the Church of England. So probably, I'm assuming that's kind of the church building he's describing mm-hmm. in, in his setting here. But he sees it, right? So the building, he, sh- he walks up to the church building. The building isn't really much to look at. It's, it's uh, you know, it's just, you know, and, and we go to so many of our churches across the country, right? And, I mean, they're nice. We're thankful for our buildings, but some buildings are nicer than others, mm-hmm. and buildings deteriorate, right? Yeah, here, it's I not mean, even done. Right, it's not it's even it's completed. finished. Still trying to put it up. That's sure. what he's seeing. Sure, Yeah, I, I, I'm guilty of that. I'll be honest. You know, one of my jobs, I guess, here at the church is I try to pay attention to the building and different sure. things that need to be took care of, so it's really easy on Sundays to... Yeah. Turn in and it's like, oh, weeds in the islands. That's annoying, you know, and oh this this isn't this hasn't happened or we're supposed to have some guy coming to fix that. Still not fixed, like still hasn't come and you just get frustrated. Right. You're coming to worship together and sure. You're already getting weighed down by building things yeah. yeah yeah and then he goes inside he says he walks inside the building and then who does he see he sees all these people he sees the local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face <laughs> bustling up to offer him uh, and i like this one shiny little book containing a liturgy which neither of them understands so i'm assuming he's probably talking about the book of common prayer right yeah which with an order of service with prayers and all these things none of these guys really understand what these words mean and then he offer hands him another shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics mostly bad and in very small print <laughs> mostly bad and can't read which it. reminds me of C.S. Lewis because unbeknownst to maybe some people he wasn't a big fan of church music like singing in church he wasn't Mm -hmm. I I guess like maybe I shouldn't say that but like he was he wasn't all like you know rah rah about 
uh, all about all that stuff, which is funny because as an English uh, writer, as a person whose entire job is to read English texts and teach that, he looks at a lot of Christian. He's uh, he's he would um, he would know how to evaluate poetry mm-hmm. and how to understand it. And here, Screw Tape is saying to Wormwood that most of the texts that you would have those are they're really just bad lyrics, actually, <laughs> not very good artistry, and in very small print, so you can't even read them. <laughs> So it's interesting right away. He's not notice. He's not saying necessarily whether or not the stuff in the books is true or not, but it it the the form isn't the most attractive way mm-hmm. it could be presented. Right. So the lyrics like could be true today. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of what it makes me think about is that you have good Christian or good uh, Christian movies. They're normally not that great. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. If maybe I just derailed I actually that conversation. Thought about Christmas. <laughs> I thought about some Christmas songs we sing yeah. where you could ask people like, what's an Ebenezer? You, know what <laughs> you just used it in the lyric and right. things like that. Right. You know, where we, anyways. Right. No, it's fascinating because they come into church and they see all these things and they're like, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, it's not very attractive. And then when he gets to his pew... He looks around him and he sees just that selection of his neighbors <laughs> whom he has hitherto avoided. And isn't that the case? We show up at church. The building doesn't look that great. The people don't look that great. Let's be honest. Sometimes our hymnals and our pews and our, and our Bibles and maybe even the songs we sing aren't your favorite and then we then we sit down there and we see all these other people that were like, I know who they are. Oh yeah, I can't believe him. Oh, he goes to this church. <laughs> and and then that's all we're seeing. We're not walking by faith at that moment, are we? No. It's one of my favorite things about masks. I just pictured this Sunday because we had to change it. I pictured everybody with a smile on their face because you can't see, right? Because the mask, so it's blocked out. So I couldn't see the oily expression on the people's face. They walked in. I just, in my head, everybody's smiling as they're walking into church. And me too. Everybody thinks I'm smiling under mine, right? I don't, I, was, I wouldn't think that. You weren't smiling? No. <laughs> Gina Lundquist was telling everybody she was smiling. She was. I heard her. I'm smiling at you. <laughs> That's Awesome. Awesome. I really like that part. Oh the people you've been trying to avoid all. What I want to know is if, like, by. were there any like old people that didn't wear their dentures because they weren't going to see them? <laughs> <They didn't have> <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's like the really curious thing. Yeah, well, could have been a bad thing. That's Lord's true. Supper. Yeah, well, that's. <laughs> Well, that cracker will just disintegrate. It's just like while. just gum at it a little bit. It'd be fine. <laughs> Oh gosh, that's wrong. So I didn't think that. That was uh, yeah, that, that was the the family pastor. <laughs> that was the family pastor. That's he's all about families, right? <laughs> you can you can address your emails to s slater at mmbconline.org. Um, yeah. So, but it's interesting that whenever we come to church, and I think uh, later on in one of these letters. Um, Lewis through Screw Tape, right, writing these letters, is going to talk about. The fact that church is meant to be a common place, not a place of common, like where we, where we have all the same likes. Sure. So when we come to church, we're seeing people that are a lot different than us. We should be at least. Mm. If we're all united on everything else but Jesus, then there's a problem. We should have diversity of ideas, of interests, of personalities, of sanctification levels whenever we're coming to church, right? Mm. Yeah. 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 I, how let let's be practical though. How easy is it for us right here at this table to get thrown off track on Sundays? Let's say 
you're going to preach Sunday morning, right? Or you're going to lead worship. How easy is it for you from the moment you leave your office to the moment you get on stage to preach? How easy is it to get distracted by these things that he's talking mm-hmm. about? What would you say? And takes about a minute <laughs> right. to get distracted. Right. I mean, it takes somebody just saying, hey, hey, Pastor, I wanted to say this. And then they say something and it's like, now I'm thinking about that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing I can think of or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. How weak, how, right? How weak-minded, right? I really can be. Been studying all week to preach this passage, ready to go. Prayed in my, you know, prayed in your office, ready. All right, I'm going to open this door. We're going to get and do it. First person has a question or whatever. Hey, so and so didn't show up, and now we don't have this. What should we do? And you're just like, right out, right. and it's all gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so this tactic that is being discussed between screw tape and Wormwood here, again, extremely, extremely relevant mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. And that's why we choose to read this book and talk about it yeah. is because it makes us aware of how easy it is for us just to notice the little mm-hmm. thing and that pull us off of what our focus should be when we do something as simple as gathering together mm-hmm. to, to worship. Um, and the temptation is going to be if we, because we come to a church and we see these kind of things, right? The temptation is going to be, especially uh, every age, I think, struggles with this. Is we've got to figure out the best way we can to make church as attractive as possible <laughs> to people when they come in here, so they don't see all these things. Right. Now, one of the things that'll typically happen then is you'll have a church that's made up entirely of millennials, right? Because they don't want to be, they don't want to be confronted with people older or younger. Um, or you'll get a church that, that does this or that, and they're trying to look all sleek and cool and relevant um, because they don't want to be, they don't want people to start thinking these things about them. But then... Um, or actually, to be fair, there's some churches that only have a bunch of old people in them because they're not sure. willing to love on a younger generation sure. or sure. show any grace. Sure. So. sure. It can happen to both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's also, he'll continue on here and say um, that using those people, and whenever we're sitting down in church, right, we're seeing the people, and we all do that. We sit down in our pews, and we look around, oh, there they are over there, there they are over there, and everyone else is looking over at you and me, and they're saying, oh, look there, there they are, yeah. We're seeing everybody, and he says that what you should do is he's, you're trying to use those people to make you discontent with being at the church service. Instead of walking by faith and realizing something truly spiritual and God's going to be present here, instead of focusing upon the invisible things, we're being dragged down consistently by all the things we can see. And he says here, eventually, he says, provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient, he's talking about the man, will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Isn't that the case? We judge people by externals. And we think, well, look at them. They're, they're, they're really not real Christians. I can see the way I can look at right. They don't think about this at all. Or look at how they live. Or they were gone last Sunday. There's no way they're real Christians. I think more what he's talking about is he just sees, like, you know, this patient is a person that has not previously been living as a Christian, but mm-hmm. he sees all these people around him right. that are, and that they just seem silly. They're weird. Goofy. Like, I think, like, you know, this might not be a good thing for the family pastor to say, but like I remember growing up, like I think my parents tried sending me to vacation Bible school one time. 
I went one day and I was like, I am not going back to that. That was the dumbest thing I've ever been at. You know, in terms of like, I thought the songs and trying to sing these songs were goofy and silly. Like on any other time, like on the way there, I'm listening to Linkin Park. And here I am, like in this little <laughs> church, singing these songs with these puppets dancing around on stage. Mm-hmm. I saw it as silly and goofy, you know, you know. So it was just like that. I think that's kind of what he's talking about, you know. In there is like mm-hmm. just make it look ridiculous, right? That's you a know, good point. to a person that's outside of the church that's never been a part of Awana or anything else. Like it's it just doesn't. The world gives like these expectations, yeah, and like we want to measure it up to that. I've felt before too. I've seen where churches give you status. If you say you go there, mm. you know, like First Baptist Church of blah, 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 big town, right? right. Oh, I go there. And right. so does uh, the governor, you know, and so does this. And it becomes like this status symbol, your your church. This is where all these people go. And um, so that's kind of like the opposite side of it, I guess, how people would, would do this in the same way, um, but feel special because this is the church that they mm-hmm. go to and... Um, it, it's raising their social level um, to some extent. And I think, I've, I feel like I've seen that to an extent here at a time when things were really booming and we moved into the building and we were really full and we would have, you know, um, different government leaders would be coming in here and different things. And it just kind of kind of had that feel like all of a sudden some people are coming. It seems like it's not for the right reasons. Mm. It's more of a status mm-hmm. status level. But when you have a church like we're talking about that <clears throat> has sinners in it, you have broken people, you have poor people, you have rich people, you have all these different types of people coming in under the banner of Christ, uh, then the status thing kind of goes away, or, mm-hmm. or it should, it should. Right. But you can look at that, though, and just say, man, I, I can't go to church with this guy. You know what I mean? Like, right. Look at him. And right. people are going to equate, we both go to the same place. They all think he's dumb and right. weird. Right. They're going to think that about me now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so easy for us to get hung up on those, uh, on those issues. Externals. Yeah. Externals. Mm-hmm. So then, so the, the, the church itself, the visible church, he's, he's encouraging Wormwood to utilize everything he can that may be weird or annoying or I mean, there could be some bad people in the church as well. Just whatever he can with the visible church to help um, pull him away from the sincerity of the faith, whatever he can. But then also on top of that, he encourages Wormwood to work hard he, on the disappointment which is coming to the man. He he points out here at the beginning of a, of a paragraph here, he says, work hard then on the disappointment or anticlimax, which is certainly coming to the patient during his first few weeks as a churchman. And eventually he, uh, well, I guess I can keep reading right there. The enemy allows this disappointment to occur on the threshold of every human endeavor. It occurs when the boy who has been enchanted in the nursery by stories from the Odyssey buckles down to really learning Greek. It occurs when lovers have got married and begin the real task of learning to live together. In every department of life, it marks the transition from dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. Mm-hmm. So whenever we become Christians, um, sometimes we have great emotional changes going on. It can be a very emotional experience. For others, it's not so emotional. But whenever we come, eventually at some point in the Christian life, we're going to go through a very dry period. Um, and sometimes that can be at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that. Why does, and, and why is that, um, an opportunity 
that screw tape says that you can take advantage of to tempt this guy away from the faith. I think right off the bat, um, if you're doing this life change, like if you're serious about it, right. And you, right. you come into it and all right. Yeah. I believe God has saved me. I, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. What does it take? And you start hearing it. The weight of it can really start getting heavy. Um, and so Satan will use that. I think on people who are newly saved, I think he really attacks them. Or or people who maybe aren't Christian yet, but they've been in church and they're mm-hmm. starting to hear some things and really starting to think maybe about some things, how Satan will just attack them with, with whatever to try to swerve them away. I think for... Um, People who've been Christians a while, though, they get into a state where there's no movement. Mm. There's been no movement for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. They're just, they just keep doing what they're doing. And there's this contentment that I think the enemy can just set in, right? You're good. You're good to go. Just keep doing mm-hmm. what you're doing. You're fine. You know, and they just, they just kind of ho hum along. Um, instead of seeing any growth, instead of seeing any growth in love and in faith, through all of this, which is not what God, you know, God God calls us to have these growth, mm-hmm. this growth, not mm-hmm. to just be stagnant uh, this whole time. Mm. But Satan's really good, I think, at at playing with us and, and manipulating us in in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, you're okay. Just keep just keep going. Right. Yeah. I and mean, what he's talking about here is that the honeymoon period is going to come to an end. Yeah. Right. You know, like they come in and like he's excited. He's got this newfound faith, and to him, everything is great. But he's going to start slowly noticing things, you know, and he's going to start being discontent with things. And like you said there, like, you know, this, uh, like a child that hears, you know, stories from the Odyssey, and that makes him think he loves everything Greek. Mm-hmm. So he starts trying to learn Greek, and then he realizes, oh, it's actually kind of hard, you know. Right. <laughs> right. It's kind of, or like, you know, uh, uh, any kid that has this, you know, all of a sudden wants to learn how to play guitar, mm-hmm. but then they actually have to sit down and try to learn how mm-hmm. to play guitar. And it's like, this actually isn't that great kind of thing. It's the honeymoon period has come mm-hmm. to an end. And um, I think that's one of the dangers, like, you know, Tim, you mentioned this earlier, that we as a church or as pastors or however you want to look at it, there is a temptation and there's a vein of ministry leaders that would, that, basically try to get you to fabricate church to be this ongoing honeymoon phase Mm -hmm. of how you feel of like always being the next biggest and best thing because they know that if that honeymoon phase ever stops, Mm -hmm. you're not going to keep the people around. There's a phrase that uh, I guess kind of applies here that um, I don't remember where I heard it. I mean, it's said all over the place, but it's just like what you win them with is what you win them to. Mm-hmm. If you win them with this honeymoon phase and promise of happiness and joy and contentment and fun fellowship all the time, then that's what they're going to expect all the time. But, you know, if you make a regular part of what you teach and you say the fact that, no, it actually includes serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, mm-hmm. you know, working uh, for the kingdom, making self-sacrifices, things like that. Those are all things that aren't really considered honeymoon things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Those are the hard parts of marriage that nobody talks about. That's the hard thing about having a job, you know, um, that's new and exciting. But, uh, you know, just try to try to keep those things away 
you know, as long as you can is what like a lot of people try to do mm-hmm. that you see in churches because it will make people feel uncomfortable or, you know, they'll go somewhere else where it's easier mm-hmm. or something. But. I think this would be a place where we around this table would say we differ with C.S. Lewis in some theology. And I think that needs to be pointed out. Uh, it seems as if, and Spencer, maybe you're more of an expert on him than me, but that he felt that one could lose their salvation, where we would say that's not the case. I would word this differently as if not he just came to the faith, but that he was in church, that he was starting to hear the word of God preached. But what what he's trying to describe here to me would be uh, the parable of the sower in the weeds. Let's grow these weeds to choke him out so that it's not real, so that there's no real faith in him. Um, and sadly, we see that happen so often in the life of the church. You see somebody come into the church, maybe they're new or whatever, and they get really excited about the things of Christ. They might even make a profession of faith. They might even get baptized. But you see them just go away really quickly, and it's because of these externals. It's like, nobody else here cares. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go, and I'm, I care, and so I'm going to do this. And you just see them slowly fade away to nothing right. in the the cares of the world just choke them out or these external things yeah. just slowly choke them out and there was no perseverance in mm. their faith which to me scripturally says there was no faith there was no right. real faith there right i was uh, i think yeah, yeah marriage is a great analogy too in this illustration here because once we become um married for very long we realize that it's not all the dating life. Right? <laughs> How long did it take you and Courtney to realize that? <laughs> uh, not very long. Huh? Uh, I thought yeah, you just told the story. Yeah, yeah. you're not yeah, proud well, of that. Okay. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't think Courtney's very proud of herself. The way she, handled, <laughs> the way she handled herself that night, you know. Um, Ouch. No, I mean, I. The sad thing is, I think she actually listens to this podcast and so she'll edit, get, yeah, edit, edit that out. Uh, no, she's but, one of the three. But, yeah, she's one of the three people. Yeah, no, but I think um, that's what happens. Is is whenever we get married to somebody, we make a promise to them, but actually it's whenever we have to live together that we actually realize that that's actually really when the process starts of actually learning to love them. Mm. Uh, I didn't really, it's, I remember one time we were talking, uh, I think it was about the baptism issue. We talked about baptism. One of the things I think you said, Tim, was that people will say to you, like, I didn't realize what I was doing then. That's what happens, I think, when we're all getting married. I had no idea really what I was doing. <laughs> if I knew it was this bad, right? <laughs> no, totally no, kidding. Totally. no, I didn't realize how great it was going to be. And so, um, but I think that's the way the Christian life is. Of course, you didn't know what you were doing. You were getting the name of the triune God put on you. Mm-hmm. You had no idea, really, really, what you were getting into. You, know, you trusted Him by faith. We hope. At that time, if you didn't, then we we trust that you're doing it now, mm. and we or we hope that you're doing that now. But that's really the way the life works. It's not like you can consistently get to this amazing peak and then stay there all the time. Mm. No, it's and also what happens is, and, and C.S. Lewis goes on here a little bit, goes on a little bit to talk about love and and God wants us. He he says do it on their own. 
And I think while I would, like you said, Tim, I would want to change the wording of some of these things and some of the ideas. I think the big picture I agree with him on that what God is trying to do is, is you really learn when you love somebody, not whenever everything's just so great and rosy, but whenever it gets a little difficult. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, right after he was baptized, was put out in the wilderness for 40 days? Mm-hmm. That's where God sent him. He didn't go send him straight to Jerusalem and go gather some disciples. He said, I want you to go out into the wilderness now and fight the devil for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Be hungry. Get tempted. And that's where Jesus then quotes the, the, the passages, man shall not live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of God. And we know that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, and he's perfect. And yet, he learned by practical experience in his human nature the uh, truth of God's word for himself. He knew it was true, and he's the God-man, but he also grew in wisdom and in stature before God. And similarly, whenever we become Christians, we shouldn't expect to live forever in the honeymoon period. I mean, if we're really married to Jesus Christ, we're going to suffer. I mean, we're going to suffer. We're going to go through dry periods, and that's actually the normal thing. And this life, we bear the cross, and the next world will get the crown. Yeah, and I think we have to be careful because it's not just the suffering that I think will like uh, like in the parable of yeah. the soils. It's like the the sun comes out and it dries them up. It's like the persecution or right. the suffering. Some of it is just the the normalcy, the grind. Yeah, the the daily grind right. of this is just part of life. Like right. going to church is not going to be some high emotional experience right. every weekend. Right. It's some of it is just going like that might by God's grace happen every mm-hmm. now and again. Right. And I think it Praise does. God for that. For, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but. Uh, that's like kind of going back to something I said earlier. Um, I had a conversation a few weeks ago with, an, uh, with a parent here at our church that's going to be sending uh, one of their kids to college here in the next year. And our conversation was like, I asked them, like, have you, have they found a church to go to yet? Have you all, you know where they're going to go? Do you know where they're going to go to church? And they honestly hadn't really thought about it. And we were talking about that. And I told them, it's like, you know, you, you you have time, you know, and I I know somebody that know has been around that area. Maybe you can connect with them. And we were talking about like the benefit of campus ministries versus churches and stuff like that. And campus ministries are great; they offer you know good ministry to the students there on campus. But one of the downfalls of only engaging in one of those types of ministries is that that's not what real life church mm-hmm. looks like. Mm-hmm. You like when they graduate and now they're an adult. There's not a campus ministry for him to go to that's packed with fun games, that's big and crazy, that has all the lights and smoke machines or whatever. You know, there's churches like there's that. There's some of those. Yeah, there yeah. are some of those. <laughs> but um, but like most machine. of the time, most of the time, that's not what regular church is like. Sure. It's not just people who are your age that like the same music, that go right. to the same events, that like the same right. the same interests. Sure. Um, you know, so like just in that context. Just being a part of a regular old church sure. is much better. I think this is a good challenge, though, for us or for people who are listening to this who've been a Christians a while, a little more mature in their faith. It's our job to catch these new believers early, I would say. Hmm. So those that are getting baptized in the church, faithful church members should grab onto those people and kind of take mm-hmm. them under their wing mm-hmm. and say, I'm here for you. I care for you. I love you. If you ever have questions, you ever have needs, you, mm-hmm. I want you to come to me checking on them for this reason, because we know that this is mm-hmm. uh, 
one of the things that Satan does, he does, he, it, it'd be like if you're, if you're making a game plan, you're looking for the weakest link, right? It's like, where's their weakness? Well, most times it's going to be those new, those new Christians that don't know that much. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to attack them. We're going to go after them and try to destroy that church or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the case might be. And, uh, it's up to us to, as pastors for sure, to protect the flock and to be mm-hmm. weary of that and to love on those people well and to trust other people in our church to be, to be doing the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want to, um, really help people to, um, to, and that's why the church is so important to be connected to a community mm-hmm. yeah. to help you walk through these things together. Right. Cause you really need that. One of the great blessings though, that Lewis points out at the very end of that, that paragraph that he began on the other page, um, is really helpful. He says the, the problem is, is if once they get through this initial dryness, I'm quoting him uh, successfully, they become much less dependent on emotion and therefore much harder to tempt. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus, I'm sure at some, Jesus was not going to fail in his message. I don't want to deny that, but there's also a sense in which he did learn obedience through the suffering of the wilderness time, going through that dry period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever we go through these dry periods, um, we become much harder to tempt. I mean, um, because why? Because we're not governing my faith based upon my mood. I'm able to, you begin to separate your mood from your faith, your, your mood, for the way in which you're feeling at this present moment from what you really believe in your core. And so actually you become much more mm-hmm. um, able to stand against temptation. Yeah. I can, because, I mean, as I grow, I learn this mood is sinful. Right. <laughs> I can't just right. push it off. Like, this is actually sinful, and I need to change my right. mood, which right. isn't easy to do, right? right? It's not an easy thing. Right. Through prayer or whatever, you got to work through. <laughs> yeah, eat. Really? Finally eat something. Go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, just, here's a Snickers. Yeah, yeah. here's a Snickers bar. <laughs> but just being honest, right? I mean, there's so often that my feelings and my moods are wrong. Right, they're bad. They're right. actually leading me to something, yep. to something bad. And I think as we grow in our faith, we get better at recognizing that. We get better at self-reflecting and looking at ourselves to say, "Am I right?" I mean, it, it brings me back again to what I talked about this past Sunday, from when we recorded this, which was Psalm one thirty-nine. What David would say at the end of that about, "Search me and know me, know my heart," right and mm-hmm. That's a mature Christian hmm. response to things. God, search me and help me here. Am I, what I'm doing is right, or my feelings right? Is my mood right? Are my thoughts right? Are my actions right? If anything isn't, show me, right? Reveal that to myself, and I, I will fall before you and change those things. That that's the maturity level that we're that we're trying to get to. But it takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of humbling, being mm-hmm. humbled. Um, to to get to that point. And like you said, that's why we need the church family because if we didn't have a church family, I think we'd just, we would just leave. Either our pride would drive us away or we'd be so embarrassed mm. in a short time of who we are that we would leave. And we need our church family to be around us to say, yeah, I was a lot like you just right. a couple years ago, you know, or sure. don't worry, you know, or whatever the case is. Right. Or to humble them, like you need right. to be quiet. You're not ready right. to speak yet, right. type of thing. Right. Um, we we need those things so bad, and thankfully God has given us mm-hmm. a family, mm-hmm. right, for that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's um the church. We need people to continue to point us back to Jesus. Yeah, we need the grocer who's got the oily look. Yeah, right, right. We need. 
those books that are hard to read. We need those songs that we sing. Mm -hmm. It might seem a little dry, but they have good lyrics, not the bad lyrics ones, but we we need those in our life. I mean, God, that's what God has given us to help us withstand the darts of the enemy. And that's what we're seeing here. These are their darts. Right, right, right. One last thing I want to point out here from the book here. He, uh, lastly, he talks about how actually the man really hasn't learned humility, uh, yet. He's, he, uh, is going to have to grow in that humility. He says eventually at the very end here, he says, what he says, even on his knees about his own sinfulness is all parrot talk. At bottom, he still believes he has run up a very favorable credit balance in the enemy's ledger by allowing himself to be converted and thinks that he is showing great humility and condescension in going to church with all these smug, commonplace neighbors at all. Keep him in that state of mind as long as you can. And I think we all struggle with that to some degree. We will, I mean, hopefully we grow in humility as we know Jesus Christ, but we still, there's still probably a part of us that thinks, uh, that we're bringing something to the table, that we're really, we're really blessing God, uh, by allowing ourselves to be converted. <laughs> you know, God must be really happy to have me on his team when I should just be happy to be on his. Um, so anyway, any thoughts about that? No, I mean, I, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, we, we yeah. all struggle with that. We all have a higher view of ourselves than we mm-hmm. probably should. <laughs> sure. And so we, we see our talents, our abilities, and we think, yeah, of course. Of course he'd use me. Right. I mean, it just makes sense. Right. Who wouldn't? But <laughs> right. it's just, again, it's a false understanding of who we are mm-hmm. and all those things. But that's what Satan wants. He wants us to prop ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and keep going, right? That's yeah. what I do. And we just we just know that's not true as right. Christians. Well, that's good. Thanks, guys, for a great discussion about this letter. I hope you're enjoying this at home, um, listening to this, listening to this discussion. This was letter two, um, from the screw tape letters from, by C.S. Lewis. Um, I hope that if you're able to and you want to, um, you can find a copy of this book if you want to read it. Or like we said, there's resources online available to listen to it. Um, you might even be able to find, uh, some kind of play that was done, uh, um, about it as well but there's lots of resources available for it it's a great book um you won't agree with everything theologically c.s lewis was different theologically than us but on the most important issues he's very profound and very helpful and uh, was right on with with uh, what all christians should believe on a lot of the biggest uh, issues of all so very helpful insights um thank you for listening we hope it's been a blessing to you and uh, we look forward to being with you next time Take care. God bless.